welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. seeing so many different things happening and I've, I've actually found it uh, to, be, to be quite, a, um, quite an experience reading through the scriptures. I don't know if it's happening to you but as I'm reading I find that God is not just taking me through words and concepts and ideas but I'm actually walking through and experiencing some of what I'm reading in the, in the passages. In this last you know, couple of months, I've experienced great opposition. And I read through and I see how Nehemiah experienced opposition. And I've seen the blessing of people coming together, rallying together to work together and to do God's purposes and will together. Seeing all of these different experiences as we're reading through. I don't know if it's just me or if anyone else is seeing that as well, that as you're reading, God's showing you in life. It's funny how he doesn't just walk us through words on a page. He walks us through experience and we learn through that. And today we've come to a passage and a chapter, chapter 11 and chapter 12 in our reading. And uh, to get into this, I want to start with a story. And I may have shared this with a few of you. I think I shared it with our youth uh, ministry a, a while back. But I want to share today and kind of open my heart to you a little bit. So please don't crush my heart as I share with you. But I want to tell you about the first time I ever fell in love. I was in year three. You know, just getting started in my primary school career. And uh, there was this girl. Her name was Stephanie. And uh, the first time I saw her, she, she, was, uh, she was, had blonde hair. She wore them in little pigtails. So cute. And I remember the first time I saw her, I looked and it was like the light of heaven was, was beaming on her and the angels were singing, hallelujah, hallelujah. And I was just captivated by her. And um, she became the, the object of my affection and the, the pursuit of my heart. And uh, Stephanie was, you know, she was a, a good looking young lady and she was like super intelligent, great personality, I think. I never actually spoke to her, so I can't really vouch for who she was, but um, I, I kind of admired her from a distance and, you know, liked her from a distance. But I, eventually, I, I get, gathered up enough courage in my heart to confess to her that I had this love for her. And so I wrote her a letter, as you do when you're in grade three. And um, being the poet that I am, uh, I put together, you know, some words that I thought may move her heart, may just kind of open a door for our not real friendship, but kind of admirership to, to move into something different. And so I wrote a letter to her, and on that letter I said something along the lines of, roses are red, violets are blue, I love you, do you love me too? Oh. You're supposed to, oh, help me here, share my heart. <laughs> anyway, she, at, the, at the bottom of that, I had to, you know, put like the tick boxes because I wanted a response. I needed to know and, you know, being a, a wise, 
grade three, I, I, I made sure that I took one of the options out, and so I had the option yes or maybe. So she could tip, and then, you know, the little perforated line so that she could rip that off and send it back to me. And anyway, sprayed it with Dad's Brute just to make kind of, you know, get the, get, just make sure when she opened that there was an experience from heaven that she would have and uh, put in an envelope and, and I, I mustered up the courage to go and deliver this to her house. And if you're asking and you're thinking, how do you know where she lived if you've never spoken to her? Good question. Stalking is, is, is a real extreme word, but could fit the uh, description there, but I was in grade three, so. Anyway, I walked to her house, and I'm ready to deliver this letter to, to confess my undying love to her, and I, I get to the mailbox, and I put the, just about to put it into the, the, to the, the mailbox, and guess what happens? Her dad comes out the front door, looks at me with my hand in the letterbox, obviously thinks that I'm trying to steal something, and yells to me, what are you doing? And me, as any young man who is about to, to confess his undying love for this man's daughter and to you know, ask for her hand in holy matrimony, is I did what any young man would do. I dropped it, I screamed, and I ran away. Get out of there as quick as I could. Never heard back. From Stephanie, and I thought, you know, from this point on, life was pretty much over, heart was broken, and I made a commitment to never, ever, ever fall in love again. It was about two weeks later. I'm on the basketball court in Olamara Primary School, and I hear the choir of angels again, and the light descends upon this girl, Nicola. And Nicola, she was a skipper, as in like she skipped. And she, and she was with all the girls that were skipping, and that, that was the thing, they just skipped. And so I became a skipper. <laughs> I trained day and night to learn double Dutch, to learn all the cool stuff, so that I could maybe just get her attention. I devoted myself to skipping and eventually got into the skipping group. Did a couple of skips around, but it didn't work out. And then one day I come to school and, and Nicola's not there. She's in fact moved. She's left the school. She didn't tell me. No one told me. I had to find out the hard way after I've just given her my heart. And anyway, from this point, after you know, trauma after trauma after trauma, I'm in this place of of extreme hurt. And I just remember this. I remember it so vividly, so really. I was mowing the lawn at home. And yeah, I was in primary school mowing the lawn. So some sort of, you know, child slavery things going on at home. Not to mention that, but I'm mowing the lawn and, and I remember just crying because my heart's been broken. And I remember singing this song. It must have been love. It must have been love. Help me out because I ain't singing. <laughs> but I was singing. I got tears coming down my eye. I got, I got grass in my face. And my mum comes out and she's like, what are you crying for? And I'm, 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 I'm not crying, mum. It's the grass in my eyes. But I remember just being heartbroken. And again, I made the decision that I'm never, ever 
ever going to settle again. And I'm glad I didn't. And so, Stephanie and Nicola, if you're listening on the podcast, (laughs) your loss. But then again, I saw this blonde girl. Blue eyes, I think. Blue, yeah, phew. (laughs) And the, the light from heaven and... And now I think back and I think, well, if I had have settled for Stephanie or for Nicola, you know, if, I, if they had have fallen for me, then I would have missed out on God's best for me. And there is a reason why I'm are you crying. That's beautiful. It's the grass. <laughs> There's a reason why I, I, I want to talk about this. It, it's, um, let me think about why. <laughs> there is a connection. I want to talk about not settling for what looks good, but settling and moving toward what God's best is for you. To not just settle on the outside for what may seem comfortable and convenient, but to move toward the best that God has for you. In Nehemiah, we've seen this, this, um, this journey that Nehemiah is taking the people on, that God is taking Nehemiah on, and he's taking the people on, where they are moving out of captivity. They've come from captivity, and they start to rebuild their city, their beautiful city. And uh, they've rebuilt the walls of this city. They've, they've, uh, they've uh, experienced opposition as they've been doing this. And now we get to a point in Nehemiah where the, the city, the walls are finished, Their homes have started to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And uh, now it starts when they come back, when they actually start to settle into Jerusalem. I want to read from uh, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, The leaders of the people were living in Jerusalem, the holy city. A tenth of the people from from the other towns of Judah and Benjamin were chosen by sacred lots to live there too, while the rest stayed where they were. And the people commended everyone who volunteered to resettle in Jerusalem. So what's happened is uh, the, the walls have been rebuilt and now they're starting to move back into the holy city of Jerusalem. Until this point, it probably wasn't much of a viable option for people to, when they came back from Babylon, to, to resettle in the city of Jerusalem. And so they, they settled around the city of Jerusalem. They settled in, in different parts of Judah, uh, Benjamin. They, they're in different parts just on the outskirts as they've come back. And uh, as some of them would have been there for 70, 80, 90 years in these new resettled places on the outskirts. Uh, And it would have been because coming back to Jerusalem wouldn't have been viable. One, there was no security with the walls being being demolished. But two, the whole place was in in desolation. So they've rebuilt and now it's time to come back. It's time to reoccupy Jerusalem. And as we read through 11 and 12 here, I want to just pull, pull out kind of four hinge notes for us that, that I hope can help, uh, that we can apply to us and, and our walks with Jesus as well. And the first one here uh, that we see is the reoccupation of Jerusalem. Now, it says that the leaders were the people who, who started to live in Jerusalem. They started to live in this holy city. And uh, you may think, well, Nice for them to take the, the, the best places, but 
I can tell you, if you look at the context of what had happened to, to the place around them, that this wasn't necessarily the comfortable or the convenient option. For anyone that was to come back to Jerusalem and for it to thrive, it needed people. But for anyone to come back into Jerusalem, they would have had to give up whatever they had on the outside. They would have had to give up family, give up community, give up their, their farms, give up their, their homes, give up everything that they may have built on the outside of Jerusalem. And so they say there that the leaders were the first ones to come back. And then they cast lots and a tenth of the people uh, came into the city. If I've learned something in following Jesus, it's that in order to, to build his kingdom, we've got to be ready to let go of our kingdoms. We have to be ready to let go of our little empire on the outside to be ready to build his kingdom on the inside. And for those who, who, who came back to Jerusalem, they had to give up whatever they built on the outside to be a part of what God was doing on the inside of this city. Now, this city was known to be the holy city. It was known to be the, the city of the king. It had reputation. And that reputation was not for the city itself. It was because it represented the God that they served. And so coming back and reestablishing Jerusalem was an important part of the journey of these people, of the people of God. And those who volunteered, the, 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 the scripture says that, that people commended that. They were happy that others put their hands forward. They were happy that others went because it needed to happen. And possibly some of them were happy because it wasn't them that got chosen. Because they got to stay on the outside and, and, and just stay comfortable with what they've got. But if God is going to move us into new spaces and territories, we will need to be ready to let go of what was behind and to move into what he has, to occupy that which he is giving to us. I think about this all the time. I think about the inheritance that we have as Christians. Can I tell you that you have an incredible inheritance? There are things that, that are afforded to you, things that are given to you, things that are held out for you. Things like freedom, things like peace, things like joy, things like love that God offers to us, our inheritance in Christ, all of the promises that are yes and amen in Him, all given to us, held out for us. And yet so often we don't lay hold of that which God has given to us. We don't take hold of that which God is offering to us. We don't occupy the space that God offers us to step into. The church doesn't have an inheritance problem. We've got an issue with taking hold of that which Jesus died for, that which he offers to us. I used to get confused when I read, you know, it is for freedom that, that Christ has set us free. I think, yeah, duh. It is for freedom that... Christ has set us free. But then I see that we've been set free for we've set been set free for freedom and yet so many of us live in bondage. For freedom you've been set free. That is what I'm offering you. That is what your inheritance is. That is what is your right in Christ. Your right in Jesus is freedom. Will you take hold of that? Will you occupy that which God is giving to you? 
Or will you stand on the outskirts where it's comfortable? I imagine the people, as they started to rebuild and reoccupy Jerusalem, as they started to rebuild this beautiful, this holy city, that those on the outskirts who, who chose to kind of sit back and watch on and, and, and allow others to go in, I imagine sometimes them looking over the walls and thinking, wow, something, God's doing something in there, but I'm just going to kick back here. I know he's, there's a move of God over there, but I'm kind of convenient over here. It's comfortable over here. I'm, I'm, I'm used to life over here. What if we miss out on what God has for us because we want to live comfortable, because we want to stay convenient, because we, we, we don't want to get out of, out, of, out of that comfort zone and step into what God has, has for us? You know, God has some stuff for you. There are promises on your life that you've got to take hold of. You can't just watch them. You can't just wish them. You can't just watch them go by. You've got to lay hold of that which God has taken hold of you for and step into the space that He is giving to you. Don't sit back and watch on. Hey, there's a move of God. I'm just going to stay back here and celebrate from afar and clap on as you guys encounter Jesus. It's there for you as well. So step into it. They start to reoccupy Jerusalem. The next thing that we see that takes place, uh, just through this, you see a whole list of names. Anyone else, as you've been reading Nehemiah, you've been reading lots and lots of lists and lots and lots of names. You notice that? You know, there's, there's like a, a spiritual element to that where, where it's, it's God wanting to tell us the heritage of people, the history of people, where they came from, who they were, what part they played in the, in the um, outworking of his story. And there's also probably a practical side to this where uh, some commentators would say that Nehemiah had to give an account back to the Persian Empire for what he was released to do. And so he would have recorded who was involved, what they did. And so even his writings, the testimony of what took place could have been used as a document that was given to the Persian Empire to, to record what had happened. So there's a, there's a spiritual side to it and a practical side to it. But as I've been reading through these names, I, I, I ask myself the question, what will my name be remembered for? When the pages of my life are finished, and let me tell you, the, the pages of our lives are numbered. We don't have unlimited pages. When I get to the end of that story that God is, is, is working through with me, what, what will be remembered of me? What will it say, uh, what will my name be, be remembered for? And I don't say this to kind of speak to our personal ambition to make a name for ourselves. But I do say, what will your name be remembered for in the, in the outworking of God's redemptive story for humanity? What is it that people will take away from you that they'll remember you for? What is it that they will think about when they think of your name? And you may not end up with a book in the Bible by your, under your name. You may not end up with an autobiography that's sold in bookstores with your name, but your name can play a part in someone else's testimony. The amount of times I've heard people give testimony of what Jesus has done in their lives, and they, they point back to a person who connected them who brought them to church, who, who loved them when they were feeling so low, who was there for them, who walked through fire with them, 
And their name becomes part of the testimony of someone else. It's written on their testimony. So what will your name be remembered for? As you read through this and we see these lists of different names, different people who played their part. The other thing that I love about Nehemiah is it, is, is it shows us that it's not just about our name. It's about his name being glorified. And we get to play whatever part that we can in, in the glorification of his name. My little bit plus your little bit plus your little bit all adds up. And at the end of the day, we want him to be glorified for what takes place. We, we move through there, chapter 11 and then chapter 12. And then we come to a point in, in chapter 12, verse 27, which starts to talk about the dedication of the wall. The occupation of Jerusalem, first thing we see, then the dedication of the wall. Let me read from, from uh, chapter 12, verse 27. For the dedication of the new wall of Jerusalem, the Levites throughout the land were asked to, to come to Jerusalem to assist in the ceremonies. They were to take part in this joyous occasion with their songs of thanksgiving and the music of cymbals and harps and lyres. Lairs. How, have you said, how do you say that? Lyres? Doesn't sound very nice. Harps and lyres. The singers were brought together with the region around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophites. They also came from Beth Gigal, the rural areas near Jeba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built their own settlements around Jerusalem. The priests and Levites first purified themselves, then they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I led the leaders of Judah. You've got to catch the picture of what's taking place here. I led the, the leaders of Judah to the top of the wall and organized two large choirs to give thanks. One of the choirs proceeded southward along the top of the wall to the Dung Gate. Hoshashiah, please don't judge me as you read. If you've been reading this, you know the difficulty in some of these names. And half the leaders of Judah followed them along with a group of other guys. Then came some priests who played trumpets, including Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, some, some of some other people. And uh, there's some other people there. And they used musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the scribe, led, led this procession. At the fountain gate, they went straight up the steps onto the ascent of the city wall toward the city of David. <gasps> they passed the house of David and proceeded to the water gate on the east. The second choir, so one choir is going in one direction. The second choir uh, went northward along around the other way to meet them. I followed them together with the other half of the people along the top of the wall. We passed the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, then passed the Ephraim gate to the old city gate, past the fish gate to the tower of Hananel, and on to the tower of Hundred. Then we continued on to the sheep gate and stopped at the guard gate. Verse 40 says, the two choirs that were giving thanks then proceeded to the temple of God where they took their places. So did I, together with the groups of leaders who were with me. We went together with the trumpet-playing priests, some other people, and you get the picture. There is this massive celebration taking place as they dedicate the walls that have just been built. Two big choirs that are walking around different directions of the, on top of the wall or alongside the wall that are, that are dedicating this work of God back to God. 
Now, this is a ceremony. Uh, some would say that there would have been between 5,000 to 10,000 people on top of this wall that, that were taking part in this ceremony. This is a huge dedication cer- ceremony. And the whole thing was actually an act of worship. It was them dedicating what God had built back to God. You notice that they don't carry Nehemiah on their shoulders and celebrate what he had accomplished. They don't take Ezra on, the, on, the, on a chariot to, to celebrate what he had accomplished. They dedicate what had been accomplished by God back to God. They recognize that the only reason the walls had been rebuilt is because God orchestrated it. And so they took time to dedicate it to Him. Now, in, culture, in this culture, the, this sort of dedication wouldn't have been abnormal. It would have been part of, the, part of their celebration, part of what they did as people. But in our culture, dedication may not have the same connotation to it. We may not see dedication in the same way, where we dedicate our lives to Jesus, where we dedicate our our workplaces to Jesus, where we dedicate our our families to Jesus. It may have a different thing in in this culture, in this day and age. But the heart behind it was to say that this is God's work. This is dedicated to God for His purposes. This city is for God. It's not for us, it's for God. You know, salvation requires us dedicating our lives to Jesus. And that dedication is to Him and Him alone. Salvation, me coming into that relationship with Him, says that I am dedicating my life to God for His purposes. For Him to do what only He can do. For Him to do whatever He wants to do in and through my life. And I'm dedicating myself to Him. Discipleship would be the redirection of our dedications in the direction of Jesus. Because every one of us is dedicated to something, maybe some things, whether that could be a, a person, whether that's our, our work, whether that's our, um, our, our way of thinking. We're all dedicated to different things in life. And discipleship is, is the redirection of our dedications in the direction of Jesus. Discipleship is us learning, how does this look for me to follow Jesus in this area? You say, if if my heart was dedicated to finances, I I dedicate my life towards building my little empire, as much wealth as I can, to, to accumulating whatever I can, and I'm driven by that dedication to that. Discipleship, Jesus starts to say, hang on a second, we need to reorient some stuff here. We need to redirect some stuff here. We need to change the dedication from being into the material to being to Jesus. And then my walk with him is me learning again the right way of dedicating my life in the direction that I'm dedicating it toward. Does that make sense? Every one of us has dedication, things that we are dedicated to or we are devoted to. And those things will show up in our worship. Those things will be the things that we give our worship to. It could be relationships. It could be the self. It could be material things. It could be our old way of living. It could be things that we're addicted to. But we dedicate, our, we dedicate ourselves to them. We devote them, ourselves to them 
possibly without even realizing that we're doing it. And then we need Jesus to take, help us to no, no, dedicate your life to me. Look to me. Take your eyes off those things and look to him. There is actually, one of the things with this, this dedication that takes place here is, is you, you see the, the way that worship is, is involved in it. There's choirs, there's singers, there's trumpets. There's this mighty noise that's taking place. They're singing, they're praising, they're giving thanks. It's an act of worship. And it shows us that our dedications in life are so connected to our, our worship. You know that Satan, he was not content with worshiping God, he wanted to be worshipped. And right now, there is a war for your worship. There is an enemy that is wanting to take away the worship of God, wanting to distract you, wanting to, to, to point your eyes from Jesus to something else so that you'll give your life to that, so that you will worship that. There is a war for your worship. And one of the first ways to, to, to kind of combat that war is to dedicate yourself to Jesus and to Him alone. To say that I will worship Him and I will worship no other. Now, now the enemy is pretty subtle in this because he doesn't need you to, to turn your affection and your worship to Him. He just wants you to take it from Jesus. He doesn't need you to, to, to start to worship Him he just, he's happy for you to just take your worship from Jesus and give it to something else. To steal your attention, to steal your devotion, to steal your dedication for something else. But we learn from the people here that dedicating everything we have to God is an important step in life. Are you dedicating yourself to Him? Are you resolutely saying that I'm following Jesus and whatever else comes, whatever else comes to steal my attention, my focus, I'm staying single-minded, single-focused upon Him. And my worship is for Him and Him alone. He dedicated the walls. The next thing we see in this passage here is that they were celebrating. There was a huge celebration taking place. Verse 43, many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day, for God had given the people cause for great joy. Everyone say that with me. Great joy. Great joy. The women and the oh you didn't have to say that bit. The women and the children also participated in the celebration, and the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. What a picture! They were celebrating what God had done. And the noise of this celebration went throughout the land and people who were far off could hear that they were celebrating. I want you to know that it's good to celebrate Jesus. It's good to sing of the goodness of God. It's good to declare how good He is. You don't need permission, but sometimes we need a push in the right direction to say that you should open your mouth and praise God. To celebrate what He has done for you. When we come together on a Sunday, a big part of what we're doing is we're celebrating Jesus together. As family, we've got songs, we've got music, we've got trumpeters. We need a trumpeter. Tom. 
And the point of this is to celebrate what God has done. To praise Him for who He is. To remind ourselves of how good He is and make a declaration to the kingdom of darkness that our God is alive, that He is well, that He is active, that He's still moving, that He's still on the throne. He is sovereign, supreme. He's all-powerful. And I was, I was praying through this morning, and I had this picture of these people that were celebrating God, and then I realized, it just dawned on me, today we're celebrating the same God. We're celebrating the same God. And He, after all of this time, is just as good as He was on that day. And He is just as worthy of praise as He was on that day. It's a good thing to celebrate God. It's a good thing to celebrate God. It is a good thing to celebrate God. And it was the joy of the people that was, that was just kind of flowing through. You know, you can, I'll, I'll say this. If you're a Christian, you can be joyful. Hey, you're allowed to. Wow. I say that because sometimes I wonder. Sometimes I'm like, I wonder if you, we realize how joyful we should be. Because God is who He is. And you're allowed to express that joy however you want to. You can smile. You can let your, ha- your heart be glad. God is good. And one of the things that we see that they did is that they gave thanks. They were thanking God. Do you know how, how giving thanks to God actually helps you to re- realize the joy that's in your heart? Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus, that even though I'm in this place right now, I know you're not finished, just as John Luke prayed before, that you're going to carry on the work that you have started until you complete it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thanksgiving is a weapon. It's a weapon as it directs, again, our hearts towards God. It helps us to look past all of the things that, that, are, that are maybe wrong with life and to look at what is good about God. You know what? Sometimes life isn't good, but God is always good. And so we always have reason to praise Him. Let joy be your portion. I said this before, like... As a Christian, joy is your right. It is your birthright in Jesus. And the enemy wants to take it. The enemy wants to steal your joy. But he can't take it. You can only surrender it. Celebrate Jesus. Let people know how good he is. I, I love the picture, man. Like the, the joy and the celebration, it just carries through the land. You know, people around this area, imagine if they heard what was happening on a Sunday morning and they heard the praises and it started to break through in some of their situations. Imagine if a flow that took place in people's lives around this area 
And they were like, we don't know what's happening. We hear these people like singing and they're clapping and some of them are dancing and blowing trumpets. We're not sure what's taking place in that place, but it's changing the atmosphere of this area. Praise God. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.